Oh, hello, and welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. This is Mooncat, you are Ocho. Hello. This week, we are going to have a good old delve into that bulging mailbag of ours, because we actually haven't looked into the mailbag in any great degree since we came back a few weeks ago. So we're going to have a look at all the feedback we've had on Twitter since we returned in March. First of all, just to deal with outstanding club business, thank you very much for listening to our lovely Jaffa Kicks for Proust podcast last week. Normally it will be the case that we will have that alongside the sitcom club, but as I mentioned a couple of weeks back, I had a tooth out and it was causing me to slur my words and so that wouldn't have been a very good listen. That's why our discussion on Egghead and his glasses replaced the sitcom club last week. We hope you enjoyed that and there'll be another Jaffa Kicks for Proust along in about a month or so. First up, this is harking back to the sitcom map of the universe. We had communication from Mike Scott, who posed the query, is the Brushstrokes pub effectively the same pub as in ever-decreasing circles? And he sent us some photographic evidence, which does look rather similar. There's Jacko in the pub, and it does look rather along the lines of where Martin and Paul would normally be found. This is followed up then by Bean as a Carrot tweeting us the pub in Free Up 2 Down does look remarkably similar to the Brushstrokes pub as well. I'm going to propose something, Ocho. I'm going to propose an amendment to the sitcom Map of the Universe. And we may have to take a vote on this, which could be difficult because there's only two of us voting. But I'm going to suggest that there is one pub in the sitcom universe. I'm going to nominate the Brown Cow from Not In Your Nelly. And that's where all the sitcom characters congregate because in the sitcom universe geography doesn't matter have you ever read the flying in by gk chesterton i think you knew the answer to that before you even asked yes but i was trying to be polite i haven't either (laughs) see you just assumed that i hadn't did you hear that listeners that lovely little sleight of hand there that's because i picked up on the fact that i think you (laughs) knew it so slightly yeah i think i'm on safe ground here (laughs) i have an alternative explanation we established well, I just said it. Nobody agreed with me or thought about it. But we proposed the idea in Sitcom Map of the Universe that the sitcom world has a smaller population. That's why so many people look like each other and nobody makes any comment. They're used to it. Smaller population, smaller talent base, smaller number of shop fitters, architects, and general pub designers. Either that or if you want to kind of shift the timelines about, you could maybe argue that... The pub nearest to the close either closed down or decided on a massive remodel and Elmo bought the fixtures and fittings and then he offloaded them on three up, two down land. It's possible. There's plenty of ideas to play with. It's possible, yes. I mean, we did actually consider Or, the... or Elmo actually went into Martin's local. Just went up and said, who did this for you? This is fantastic. This is exactly what I've been looking for. Do you have a business card? Which idea excites you more? A small talent base in a small planet with a small population or the possibility of Elmo and Howard having a pint together? I would like to see that. I mean, admittedly, yes. Is Martin going to be involved in the conversation with him? There's nothing against Martin, but I suspect that he'll dominate the conversation and I'd rather just hear Elmo and Howard together. don't think Elmo's the type of person Martin would be able to relate to. He's a horrible snob. Yeah, this is true. This is true. That's why I chose Howard. Venusian Spearmint sent us a nice wee article from the New Statesman, How Not to Adapt a British Sitcom in America. Thank you very much for that. We've sent a reply previously to Venusian, which 
I think, Ocho, this may have been from your pen. It says, interesting reading, but the UK still has to live down Brighton Bells before we can crow over transatlantic disasters. I watched Brighton Bells. I even watched some of the ones they showed in the middle of the night years later. Well, <laughs> didn't show them in the middle of the night. It was a few months later, about 10 o'clock. It was the past. It's how we did things in the past. The question is, because in further replies, we've referred to some examples of shows going from the US to the UK and so on. So it was married with children coming over here and becoming married for life. Good Times became The Fosters. And then Maud came up. Now, I'm not overly familiar with this show, Nobody's Perfect. What is this? Nobody's Perfect was the British version of Maud. And it had Elaine Stritch as Bill. She was called Bill Hooper. And Richard Griffiths as Sam Hooper. And I'm just reading out the cast list because I don't actually know anything about Maud other than the fact it had B. Arthur in it. You know what? I think I do know something about Nobody's Perfect. I'm just looking at the credits here. There were 14 episodes adapted from the US script. And I think they were looking at it more as a vehicle for Elaine Stritch than they were an adaptation of a US hit. I think that was maybe just something to give them a head start. Because the story, as I understand it, is she wasn't happy with how the scripts were turning out. And in the end, she adapted most of them herself. Ah. She was given an office at LWT, apparently spent most of her time in the Savoy, bashing out the adaptations. But there were 14 episodes. She did 13 adaptations. And it says here, one of the 14 was adapted by Richard Griffiths. Ah. I met him. Did you? Do tell. You, you will get sick of me saying, naming all the people I've met. Especially when I stop naming the famous ones and just start telling you the ones only I know. No, tell us circumstances. It's always the same circumstances. If I met a famous person, I met them at the National Media Museum, probably during the Bradford Film Festival. And he was very, very, very grumpy. He wasn't in the best of health. It was very strange, because he was extremely grumpy, but also extremely generous with his knowledge. It was a friend of mine came up to him and started talking about Withnell and I, and Richard Griffiths then complained about the circumstances of Withnell's production and the financial history of handmade films. And so he was acting like he would rather be anywhere else on earth and talking to anybody other than me and my friend. But he did not storm off. He still gave us chapter and verse and still told us all the stuff he knew and slagged off canon films. He was also apparently quite nasty to another friend of mine, but he apologised, and there's one way of apologising with style. I wish I could do this myself every time I need to apologise. If you want to apologise, send Michael Palin ahead of you to say, Richard would like to (laughs) apologise. Michael Palin should be a global peace envoy. He should just just do that 24-7. He should just go ahead of whoever it is that's got something to apologise for. All those Middle East peace talks that Joe Biden disrupted by bursting into the room and saying, Hey, who's got some love for Uncle Joe? Ah, you're too big to give me a hug, huh? Oh, big man. Come on, champ. Come on. Who's your daddy? (laughs) Okay, now, one last point about this topic of UK-US sitcoms. We never got to see the Brighton Ballroom. And let me just point out right now, that's not a euphemism. That's, oh, boy. That's that's my name for the Golden Palace. Should have happened. It was never proposed, the best Maximum cool points, my friend. What a waste of an April Fool's joke. 
<laughs> we could have tried to convince people that happened. <laughs> the only original member of the cast who came over was uh, Chief Maron, who reprised his role. I've got my list in front of me here of UK to US adaptations, and I think it contains some surprises. Because we know about, yes, Dad's Army, they did a pilot. Faulty Towers, three different tries. Dear John, yeah, fine. There is a US pilot called Steptoe and Son. Not Sanford and Son, Steptoe and Son. There was an earlier attempt. I think it had Aldo Ray in it. I only have the list, I don't have the details. When are we going to review the Sanford Arms? I'd love to see the rag business. That sounds like I made it up, didn't it? But no. <laughs> Talk about only jerks and the horses. Sharp intake of breath. Blimey. Yeah, the bounder. Most of these I'm mentioning are just pilots. Weirdly, Two's company became the two of us. Was that the one with Peter Cook instead of Donald Sindon? The first program ever shown on TSW. That is correct. Was that shown instead of something on network? Because that's a rare misstep in TSW's part. It was instead of the Hogman Ace show, which I believe was actually with Fulton Mackay that year. One last point on the topic of UK-US sitcoms. You mentioned to me the other day that you were watching an episode of Man About the House and there was an actor in it from Bradford. And this, sense. And this goes on to the topic of if that episode was remade for Free's Company, would they still have used Leslie Sands in the role? It's not a matter of would they, it's a matter of should they, and the answer is yes. So we need to put this in some sort of context, because Leslie Sands is Robin's father, and Robin's failed his exams, so he thinks he's going to have to go back to Southampton and work in his father's factory. And yeah, it would have been quite nice, would it, if Leslie Sands had had that conversation with John Ritter. Would it still have been that John Ritter was going to go back to Southampton specifically? Okay, I'm thinking maybe we just need to replace everybody except John Ritter with actors from Bradford in Three's Company. Before we came back at the end of March, we tweeted, Preparations for the return have begun. Ocho just confessed to enjoying three 21st century sitcoms during the break. You've discussed that on the show. It was three American shows that we were watching. But we got a lovely wee tweet here from Lapscat who suggested what those three shows might have been. Specifically, The Right Way, My Hero, and that awful Jack Whitehall abomination wiping it on the curtains. Brackets, BBC Free. Just to confirm for anybody who didn't hear any earlier shows, it wasn't any of them, was it? Uh, no, it was Alpha House. First series is the better one. I think it might be coming back for a third series. I'm hoping they uh, they go a little bit back to the first series, more politics, because you could kind of tell in the second series, somebody, more personal stuff, make it personal. Blackish, which is the closest to the more sort of traditional stuff that we watch, I think. I'm not saying it's the 21st century Bless This House, but it has that. It's about family. It's about race, but it's really about race in a way that's about class. The lead character is having to, in some ways, cope with becoming middle class. The only thing I could do without him, Blackish, is there's always a voiceover at the end telling you what he's learned. Yeah. And The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which. Gets a little bit cute at times, but is full of some good, solid, laugh-out-loud jokes. Brilliant performance towards the end from the guy playing the Reverend, but I won't spoil it for for you because it's quite an amusing moment when you realise who it is. And it has a diegetic theme tune, and I can't think of any other shows that do. On the topic of 
this hopefully mythical Jack Whitehall sitcom. This does remind me of a little piece on Screenwipe a few years ago of Charlie Brooker, where they were discussing this supposed BBC free sitcom called, I think, Bumming Off with Kevin Eldon. And I mean, just for the first couple of minutes I was taken in, I thought, oh my God, Kevin Eldon's doing this? I'm not a BBC free viewer, so it is just possible that that sitcom might have happened and I didn't know anything about it and he's supposed to be sort of like 20 years younger than he actually is he's supposed to be a student <laughs> and it's just all this filthy scatological humor and the the big reveal of course was that supposedly in the early series he had been joined in the cast by Daniel Craig who then left the show to go off and become James Bond big star that he is so yeah I, I really hope that wiping on the cards is not a real show although if i ever find out that it is i'm, I'm gonna be intrigued to at least watch the first three minutes of it well just before he became james bond he was cavorting around with Anne reed wasn't he was he it was a movie called the mother in which daniel craig i think gets seduced by Anne reed i was gonna say i don't remember this episode of dinner ladies <laughs> a great sadness descends for just a moment because our own Bogginstrovia a while back had suggested a sitcom for us to discuss. It's called Shine a Light and it starred Timothy Bateson and Tony Selby and it's written amongst others by David Nobbs. The great sadness in question being that unfortunately it no longer exists. We have checked and it was made by Yorkshire Television but it is no longer in the archives. And that, I think, is a disaster. That means it's been made after 1968. Ugh. Hey, can I mention Mr Digby Darling? Is that Yorkshire Television? Yes, I believe it is. When, I think it's a matter of when rather than if, when Mr Digby Darling comes out on DVD, be prepared to be amazed by Sheila Hancock's internet radio. <laughs> now, I remember when they repeated it on Granada Plus and one morning, these are about six o'clock in the morning, and being the dirty stop-out that I was once when I was still alive. I was probably watching this because I'd just come in rather than I'd woken up early. Sheila Hancock's listening to a radio, a little transistor, and the brand is internet. <laughs> it's there on the speaker grill, internet. <laughs> but internet radio is not a search term that's going to bring up much joy. Not so much finding needle in haystack as finding grain of rice in the cosmos. But at least we could go off searching. Isn't it amazing to think, though, that there are actually fewer atoms in the universe than there are fonts on my laptop? Have you been watching Brian Cox again? Because you're you're getting into science now. Why has he done a show about typography? (laughs) (laughs) No, I think they've given Mark Gattis... There is a documentary film called Helvetica. I just want to know where the rest of them. If BBC4 ever does a documentary about fonts, I'll let you know it's probably going to be Mark Gattis. You know, just as um, the growing pains of PC Penrose was reworked and became rosy, maybe wiping it on the curtains could be reworked into wiping it on the Venetian blinds. (laughs) Opening titles end and first thing we hear is... (laughs) (laughs) It's going to... Then roll end credits. It's going to trouble the mind again. Now... One topic I'm not going to go into detail about today, it didn't actually begin as a discussion about this particular show, but 
the Esmond and Larby sitcom for ITV in 1991, Hope It Rains, was being discussed on Twitter. And we're going to come back to that sooner than you think. On the topic of, I suppose you would say grim sitcoms. Sitcoms which the premise does not necessarily fill you with joy right from the word go. Nick Drew tweeted, So haunt me is pretty grim too. Elderly Jewish ghost stuck with unimpressed family. Now the ghost in question being Miriam Carlin. And I seem to remember the family was headed by Tessa Peake Jones. At that time, of course, was most famous as Raquel only for and horses. I seem to remember that Mark Lewinson makes reference to this in Radio Times Guide to Comedy. 1992, Black Wednesday, Recession, so on. The idea of this family complaining and constantly moaning and arguing the toss about this dilapidated house that they're in, when the house in question is not falling apart, it's not like they're having to live in a tent or something like that. It sort of jars with the overall era. Does that make sense? And yet you like the house that Jack built. Okay, now, I don't understand why this isn't the nation's favourite sitcom. I liked the house that Jack built. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I am sort of ashamed to say that, actually. Hell, I've got no credibility anymore. I've already admitted that I own Blunder on DVD. I've admitted that I found one episode of The Right Way moderately amusing. So what the hell? I'll just go for it. I'm not necessarily going to get it on DVD when it comes out from network very soon. But I might. Who knows? But, okay, the point about it is, yeah, because you said before about how everybody in it is horrible and what have you. That's the whole point. They're all supposed to be horrible. The only person who's nice in it is Richard Lumsden. And everybody else is a Yeah, but I just don't think that it's meant to be one of those narratives with no heroes. I think we're actually supposed to chuckle along. You know, there's characters who are nasty that you can watch and characters who are nasty and you think... We're actually supposed to be cheering you on. I get that, but... Good, right, moving on. (laughs) I win. (laughs) I think that at this stage in the proceedings, something that we can agree upon is what's required so that I can claw my way back into the game. And that is going to be provided by Bean as a Carrot, who tweeted... Ever seen Nearly Departed, the theme so long is a work of genius. Now, on the back of that tweet, we watched an episode of Nearly Departed. Because and I, mentioned- I, remembered, I had remembered one line from the theme tune, and I hadn't seen it in 25 years. All I remembered was, halfway to Hades and halfway to heaven above. Turns out the line that led into that was pushing up daisies. Nothing like being in love, dear. Nearly departed. Yes, so yes, I, I did like the theme tune. The rest of the show, it was a shit. Let's be honest about it. We're not going to do Nearly Departed as the full sitcom club podcast because here is a review. Oh, of we right seriously now. thought about it. It was going to be our not quite July Fourth special until we watched it. But oh god, that was a chore. A bloody hell. The light had gone out in Eric Idle's eyes, <sighs> and he's a really annoying bloody character as well in it. We should have maybe folded that in with Land of Hope and Glory and Honey for Tea because that was an English person just wandering around going, Americans are rubbish. I did like the line about it looks like a cow stepped on a landmine when they're eating sloppy jaws. But... He's got no business being there. He's just taking the piss out of them. And poor old grandpa, he's got to listen to all this shit as well because nobody can hear us except the old man. I think there is another sitcom out there that was influenced by Nearly Departed. 
a Disney Channel teenagers sitcom called Teen Angel. I know there were two shows called Teen Angel, one of them late 80s, one of them late 90s, early 2000s. I'm talking about the second one and they had, in the second series, they had a grandpa who was the only one who could see the angel. I'm not saying that it's a lost classic, but this is a sitcom aimed at teenagers, which has a joke slagging off Saturday Night Live <laughs> and a joke about Chappaquiddick. <laughs> it's got nearly departed beats. <laughs> that is surprising. I'll admit that. That, wasn't, that was not what I was expecting. A boy's best friend, a couple of teenagers, best friend dies, comes back as his guardian angel. And there's one way he's talking about he's going to have to learn to drive and they're worried about the safety aspects. So his angel friend conjures up a farm robber car and said, if Ted Kennedy had had one of these, he'd be president by now. Oh, what a mighty. And this is Disney Channel at oh five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> That's uh, maybe you're just hoping that all your viewers are not going to pick up on that reference. <laughs> And the other one that's worth quoting is uh, they have a crossover with Sabrina the Teenage Witch. For reasons, they all get transported back to the 70s. And the angel says to his friend, said, something's not quite right around here. We're wearing all these flared trousers and using all this weird slang. And I watched Saturday Night Live last night and it was fresh and inventive. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get an entire podcast that have nearly departed. I found it bloody irritating. And I'll be perfectly honest, I was glad the pair of them were dead. I just wish that they, <laughs> I just wish I, that they'd bugger off. I don't off. think as an idea it was completely devoid of potential to be diverting. Right. Do you know what it should have been? If I'd been in charge of Nearly Departed, I reckon that I could have got it cancelled earlier. The other week, we were chatting about the Simpsons spin-off show. And one of the items in that is the lovematic grandpa about how... Grandpa's soul has somehow found its way into this well, dumbass love a, testing an old machine. Man passed away, but got lost. I remember, the way. I remember the lines about all oh, that. Yeah, but got lost upon the way. Now he's the love magic grandpa, the wise Socratic grandpa. I just like the use of Socratic. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one line in that which I saw once on a syndicated airing of The Simpsons on American TV, and they cut this line. I couldn't believe it. I don't know what it was about it that was going to cause offence, but anyway, this is how Nearly Departed should have been. It should have had this sort of vibe running all the way through it. There's one scene where Mo has hidden the lovematic grandpa in the toilets, and he's getting advice because he's on a date. And when Mo then goes back out the toilets, there's grandpa slash machine, and he just solemnly says to himself, I've suffered so long. Why can't I die? And everything up until that point has had canned laughter from the audience, but this gets no reaction. <laughs> that is how Nearly Departed should have been. I was thinking of maybe had. the line, you buried me naked and sold my suit. <laughs> oh, that's the second time he pulled the plug on me. I Okay, Eric Heidel is remorselessly cheerful, and I'd just like to see him sometimes let the mask slip. And just come out with something. Come out with what he's really thinking. doesn't really have to be a dead character for that. It would be quite nice to occasionally see Jack in on the buses or... Well, I will say on the record that I do not wish to know what's going through Jack's mind. I don't want any kind of window on his internal thought mechanism. Some things are just better left unseen and unheard. 
We once had a conversation about if sitcom characters could come out of the TV and arrive into your living room, who would be the one that would cause you the most distress? And we agreed, of course, that it was Jack, specifically at 4am, if you'd fallen asleep in front of the TV. You're picking bits off that cactus and eating them. <laughs> I told you about that. Our discussion about No Place Like Home prompted this tweet from Lapscat. Michael Charvel Martin appeared in When Did You Last See Your Trousers in the 1980s? That's how I want to remember him. And of course that then got us onto the topic of closing announcements. We've covered that in our discussion on Honey for Tea. And Lapsed also tweeted there was a Kathy Staff sitcom in 1988 which ran for one series only called Let's Kill Gran. Now, I think I think Lapsed knows this already, but no, actually, yes, he does, because he replied, my mistake, it was called No Frills. Now, the only thing that I remember about No Frills was that it had this curious credit sequence where the entire episode then played backwards at high speed for the last 30 seconds or so. But we did once consider discussing No Frills, and there was one particular scene and even one particular line which, which caused you much distress. I think we might mention this next week which we recorded last week. Apologies if this gets repeated. I don't want to talk about it. Well, you don't have to. It's one thing to have a gobby, outspoken teenage character, but just the venom with which she says to her mother, are you stupid or what? It kind of kills the joke. Well, no, no, there wasn't a joke, actually. No, that is the joke. It's because everything before is closer to expository dialogue. So the joke is... Look, this person's just being unpleasant for no particular reason because she's just selfish. Maybe she should have let the mask slip. By which I mean her face should have fallen off and her eyes should have fallen out and rolled off. When... <laughs> and, oh, who brought this barrel of salt? Whoops. <laughs> You're seriously proposing this in a Kathy Staff sitcom? I don't know how I saw that scene without really being aware of any of the scenes in front of it. Maybe my media player of choice... Somehow just jumped forward and said, look, before you want to watch any more of this, I think you need to see this. <laughs> We're not doing no frills. And let's put feedback here about Honey for Tea from Christopher Lawless, who said, one thing that doesn't work about these sitcoms, Honey for Tea and also Land of Hope and Gloria, there are lots of US nationals to be found at Oxbridge, so it's not that much of a culture clash. That's a very good point. I mean, a good friend of mine is from New Jersey, and I met him at University in Glasgow. It wasn't like I was suddenly staggered and thinking, my God, you're an American man. What are you doing here? How did you, how on earth did you cross the water? A couple of suggestions here that I'm not overly familiar with. Suggestion that there was a Honey for Tea parody on Spitting Image. I mean, I think probably DCT would be the person to ask about that, but I'm I'm not I'm not really massively up on Spitting Image generally, and certainly not 1994 era. Uh, Squiddy also mentions that he hadn't seen any of Honey for Tea outside of 20 seconds worth that appeared in TV Awful with Victor Lewis-Smith. Lapscat tweets, Top Stuff Chaps, thank you very much. I've always wondered why Kendall was cast. Ned Beatty in drag would have made a more convincing character. Kenneth Kendall. <laughs> now we had a tweet from Patrick Stratford who said he enjoyed the most recent edition thank you very much Patrick any plans on reviewing another episode of Last of Summer Wine now I think that we probably will at some point because we've only 
reviewed one episode. Do you want to do was... a series or do you want to do another one? There were more than one feature length shows weren't there. Well, yes, there was quite a few of them. I'm quite intrigued to have a look at some of those earlier episodes. From what I remember of them, I, I think remember watching they've... some of the first series and it seemed to have been recorded in a massive tiled space because <laughs> every sound was bouncing off every surface. It was quite punishing to listen to. I seem to remember the early episodes were rather more coarse and a bit more sort of hard-edged and what have well, you. So Clegg is a different character. Clegg is the cynic of the group. I don't want to commit to watching every episode of Lesser the Summer White, even though I would like to. How many episodes of Watching have we watched since we watched Watching? Oh, was it about three? No, since then. None! We promised, didn't we? We promised that we're going to watch all of Watching after we watched those three, and we haven't watched any. Well, that's true. But, no, we will. We will. Mike Scott tweets us on the subject of coarse language in sitcoms. One studio audience F-bomb I recall was, oh, fuck off, George, in Drop of the Donkey in 1992. And a big one in terms of studio fucks, so to speak. From L'Oreal. Because <laughs> you're fucking worth it. No, um, the Fuck Me Shoes episode of Have I Got News For You in 1994. And he adds, by the way, I too dreamt a Penelope Keith sitcom. The only <laughs> line of hers I recall was, really, in all my years as Penelope Keith. Did we mention that we found out since? I can't remember when I talked about that weird dream. We found out there was a Penelope Keith sitcom about her getting a toy boy. Well, yes, Sweet Sixteen. But it didn't have Jean Bort as her ex-mother-in-law. There wasn't a tasteful but very surprising on-screen sex scene. There was in my dream. It wasn't steamy or anything, but I'm thinking, this is a bit likely to draw complaints. I'm quite surprised they've gone down this direction. But yes, Sweet Sixteen, which 16 years is the age gap. Maybe that's the reason, because it wasn't a success, was it? Was it one series? Only one series, yeah? It was one series. We had a look at some of the newspaper cuttings from it, and it was quite heavily trailed in advance. I think it was 7.15 on a Sunday evening, whereas it had the feel of actually like a BBC Two 9pm sitcom, to be honest. And we watched the first episode. But do you think people heard the title, heard the premise, and thought, Penelope Keith and a 16-year-old? <laughs> It's the first thing that pops into your head, sure. <laughs> like, you're not thinking, oh, obviously there's a 16-year age gap. This... In, in my rather childish frame of mind, I was straight away thinking it was going to be effectively confessions of Penelope Keeps Kite, so she was just going to be jumping in and out of every 16-year-old lad's bedroom that she passed. <laughs> well, now you're making it, in my mind, look like a platform game like <laughs> like Jet Set Willy she's, not, she's jumping in and out of bedrooms <laughs> I imagine the entire thing is going at twice the normal speed it's it's very much Benny Hill but without yakety sacks there's no subtlety there is no plot there's barely any dialogue and how on earth somebody thought this is suitable for 7.15 on a Sunday night of all times is beyond me speaking of dreams I just wanted to relate to the listeners the little idea that popped into my head the other night in a state of unconsciousness. I think it may have been some sort of comic relief sketch that involved Ronnie Corbett playing the role of Martin from Ever Decreasing Circles and the role of Paul was played by 
Gordon Kennedy from Absolutely. And the very first line of the sketch, Ronnie Corbett says, Hello, my name's Timothy Lumsden. Sketch is over with before it even bloody well started. Knackered. Now, if anybody has a copy of that sketch, if you've got like a VHS of an old comic relief and you know that that actually exists and I didn't dream it, then please let us know. If it weren't for the fact that I know people don't like being told about other people's dreams, I do have a massive dossier of bizarre television <laughs> shows I dreamed. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do that in Jaffa Cakes once. How about that? This mailbag is self-indulgent enough already. I'm not sure people would enjoy it. And also they'd wonder why Eddie Large keeps dying in my dreams. <laughs> well, okay, only twice. <laughs> Admittedly, Sid Little does get onto some remarkable things. I, mean, I don't know what Sid Little's like in real life. Of course, I can only go on what I've seen on television. But he seems to have a lot more sort of spunk about him. Pent-up you know aggression. I mean? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not talking about this, okay? People don't want to know. Nobody likes hearing anybody else's dreams. And when they've all said little, though. I mean, you know, who the hell wouldn't want to hear that? I'm wishing I never told you now. You're making this sound more and more exciting. All he did was crash some library steps into the seating <laughs> area of a television studio and also tell Eddie that he never liked him on live television. <laughs> See, that's boring. We had a recasting suggestion from Bertie on Facebook. Yes, Minister, Sir Humphrey played by Simon Callow. I think it's time he did another sitcom. I'm firm on this point about Yes, Minister, and this was the big mistake they made in that recent version. Going to bring back Yes, Minister, I think you're better off just saying it's a sequel set in the same world. It just lets you loose of a lot of comparisons that are going to drag you down. And all you need is to get... Derek folds in for an afternoon to sit in a big leather armchair and drink brandy and say a few things to one of the other characters. Hey, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> we could learn a few things from that. Again, I mean, this is not ideal for the sitcom. Uh, so, right, okay, yeah, here's the idea. Derek folds, still playing Bernard in Captain America 3. And to be honest, I don't care if Captain America's not in it. I just like the idea, sitcom or not, of Derek Folds sitting in a big chair with a glass of brandy, just saying things. I think that'd be marvellous television. Can Sky Arts commission that? Can we get that done? Just let him say whatever he wants. Uh, what? Okay, Derek Folds just telling tales about the acting profession. I don't mean telling tales as in, you know, either tall tales or tales out of school or anything like that. Just little anecdotes as an actor. In a big leather chair with a lovely roaring fire. That'd be, fam that'd be fabulous. Okay, Batman versus Superman. Everything I'm hearing, it sounds like it's really crowded already. They've got Aquaman in there. They've got Wonder Woman. I think they have Captain Marvel, but of course he's renamed Shazam for various reasons. And on top of that, he's still got Batman and Superman. I think there's room. Do a little, do a few more pickups. I think principal shooting may have finished. It's there's still time. I think they're splitting the movie in two. I still think there's a little bit of room for Gunner Gloria, played by Melvin Hayes, and Tim Brooke Taylor playing his character from Me and My Girl. You're not CGI green screening. These things are so sophisticated now, and yet we've never used them for Tim Brooke Taylor from Me and My Girl to meet Tim Brooke Taylor from You Must Be the Husband. What is wrong with the world? Hang on. What about Tim Brooke Taylor's character from TLC? 
What are you, are you mad? Putting a character from TLC in Batman vs. Superman? Can I just check, by the way, when you say Captain Marvel's renamed Shazam, does that mean that every time he hears a piece of music, he has to blot out the name of it? <laughs> what a fantastic cross-promotion that would be. And if this is the case, my suggestion is try him with some library music. God, that'd be annoying, though, every time he goes, I don't re- recognise whistling or humming. I'm not whistling and harming, I'm playing you the piece of music. Give him KPM, he will not know what to do with it. A number of bloody times I've tried to jam about on that. I've been trying to find that music behind the coconut sketch in Nuts. I found the theme tune. Theme tune's by Liza Minnelli. <laughs> but I can't find that coconut bed. Have you actually considered writing to NRK? Don't think that I haven't checked to see if Knut Liestad or Lars Muren have Twitters. I don't think they do. Because otherwise I might have actually said, hey, do you want to listen to some guys talking about your work? Because <laughs> we don't say anything nasty about them. A couple of final mailbag items. Lapscat said that... TLC, seriously, this is a multi-million dollar superhero blockbuster and you're going to put characters from TLC in it. I really don't see the problem with this. I mean, I'm not saying that the viewer needs to have any advanced knowledge, prior knowledge of TLC. I'm not saying that you're going to make it that niche. I'm just saying, if TLC is too vague, then perhaps have Adrian Edmondson's character from Doctors and Nurses. More pressing matter is that Mike Scott tweets us to say, listening to the Metal Mickey edition, long story, but I went to Lola Young's peerage party. If we're not talking about jumping in bedroom windows. Ah, now you mean her character in Metal Mickey for I had to process oh, yes. that first just a second. And I thought, what? What is this? What yes, is this no, I'm not picking any fights with any... <laughs> And he also says the free celebrity guests were, but unfortunately he appears to run out of his 140 characters at that point. So we're just we're just left hanging. No, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I think I can find that for you. Yes. I think the subsequent tweet just wasn't added to us. And the answer is Sue McGregor, Floella Benjamin and Maurice Gran. It's nice to know who the people were in question, but I mean, I sort of preferred it when we were just left hanging in suspense. Because I had all manner of names in my head at that point. But it was not to be. I was going to conclude on that one, but just going to throw this in because we've actually got breaking news. As we are speaking right now, I've just retweeted something from the sitcom club. i just seen it. A tweet from Retro Best in which we have an official Thames Television publicity still for Spats. With all the crew together and all name checked and it's got an official Spats logo on it as well. Oh, it's a thing of beauty. And this has already got a few replies. The now, thing are... is, is that Jennifer Calvert is staying in character. <laughs> and TJ, he's, he's, he's got his hands in his pockets. Or one of them, anyway. Anyway, no, I don't mean that to be filthy, but he has. Anyway, amongst the replies, and these are not well, you too... think You think the other one is somewhere in the region of Vast Blackwood? Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because he looks quite cheerful. No, these. No, he looks. He looks kind of surprised. It's a mixture of of surprise and and fear. I think. As soon as I find say. out whose hand that is, I will then decide what my reaction is. <laughs> now these replies are not to ourselves because this is not a second called tweet, but just to quote some of these. Oh, we've become one of those, have we? Become a scraper account. <laughs> well, there's one tweet here. Disturbingly, my first thought is, isn't that the girl on the right out of the David Essex vehicle, the river? You're right, it is. And 
That was from Mercy Tart, by the way, and Rusty Russ, who you really should follow on Twitter if you're on Twitter because he posts some brilliant retro material all the time. He tweeted, if you hated Spats, then I would hate to think what you would have thought of Cone Zone. Now, we've never looked at Cone Zone. Cone Zone is a little bit after my time. I think that was around I've about maybe... I've never heard of Cone Zone. I think it was around about maybe 1998. Now, I was long past watching CITV by that point, but I've got a funny feeling that it was a sort of Spats for the N64 generation. And it was about an ice cream parlor. Well, it was about an ice cream parlor and it was the same sort of setup and everybody is doing their sort of shtick and what have you. So maybe we'll have to dig out some episodes of Cone Zone and have a wee peek. I'll consider it. In two weeks' time, the remaining five minutes of Hancock's and Cone Zone on the sitcom club. There you go. Thank you very much indeed for all your tweets, all your feedback on Facebook as well. We really appreciate it. And if you've got anything at all for us, you can tweet us at the sitcom club and we welcome your suggestions. Laps Cats asked about Phil for Rich and Catfap. We did actually try and do that once and, and, and failed. It just went off the rails. We may give that another go. We may give that another go. But next week, as alluded to earlier on, we are going to review Esmond and Larby's 1991 ITV sitcom, Hope It Rains. Yeah, we went back on our rule, which was the next Esmond and Larby we do has to be the other one because Hope It Rains is all on YouTube. So it was a lot easier to access. Can I just point out that that does not automatically mean that we're obliged to review Nearly Departed. Just because that's on YouTube as well, that's not just like the criteria from now on. If you find <laughs> something on YouTube, hey, look, we've got all of No Frills on YouTube, principally because the person who sent this to us has just uploaded it to YouTube. It doesn't work like that. It's not going to happen. But anyway, so yes, next week, hope it rains. If you wish to dip your toe into the sitcom club of waters, because there are indeed more than 70, you heard me right fans, 70 podcasts in the archive now, go to sitcomclub.com and you will find them all. And there is a new facility where you can leave comments. Which will never be approved. The, the, the chances are that they will get swept up in all the spam because we do get a lot of stuff about Swiss watches. Put it this way, if your comment isn't spam, could you write in big capital letters, this is not spam at the beginning of it? Probably won't make any difference. If anything, it's more likely to actually get caught up in the spam filter if you do that, but what the hell. Anyway, I bring this meeting to a close. And so, thank you very much indeed, Ocho, for your attendance today. You're almost welcome. And from myself, hey, home and go. Until we are discussing, hope it rains next week on the Sitcom Club. Thank you very much indeed for listening.